I'm Shanna Hutchison, dietitian, blogger, and mama, born and raised in the heart of the Midwest. I believe that wellness goes way beyond what we eat and that our body size does not determine our worth. I'm passionate about showing other women how to live a life they truly love, one that feels purposeful, that helps them feel their best physically, mentally, and emotionally, and that being a mom can be one of the best things you ever do without it becoming your entire identity. This is a place you can come to hear vulnerable and interesting conversations about health and wellness, motherhood, entrepreneurship, and more. If you want to find freedom with food, learn how to improve your overall well-being, and stop waiting for a number on the scale to start living your best life and go after your goals, then you're in the right place. I'm so excited to learn and grow together. This is the Wellness for the Win podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. Today is a solo episode, so you just get to hang out with me for the next however many minutes it takes me to discuss this topic. So I recently threw up a box in my Instagram stories to see what you all wanted to hear about for this month's solo episode, and someone said nutrition labels, and this has actually been a topic on my list for a while because I've gotten several requests for it in the past as well. So I'm putting on my nutrition hat today and diving into all things nutrition labels. So as a registered dietitian, I get a lot of questions from both clients and followers regarding nutrition labels and how to decipher them and what to look for. And as you know, there are a lot of different components on the nutrition label. I know as a consumer, it can feel super confusing and overwhelming. And even as a dietitian, I mean, things are always changing. There's always updates, um, which I think more recent updates have been a positive thing, but there's still a lot to keep up with. So today I'm going to break down some of those things and talk about really what we want to include more of, what we want to limit or avoid in the diet, some other things to just be aware of when you're looking at packages and labeling and more when you're at the store. So I often get asked things like, how much protein should I be looking for on the label of a food? Or how much fiber should these things have, etc.? Insert other nutrient. And the truth is the answer to that completely depends on what the food is and really how it fits into your overall day and overall diet. So just keep in mind that certain foods are going to provide more of a certain nutrient than others, and that doesn't necessarily make them bad or wrong. They just fill a specific need as opposed to another food. So for example, fruit isn't you know, first of all, fruit doesn't usually have a nutrition label anyway, if you're just buying it like individually. But, you know, fruit, for example, doesn't have a a lot of protein or much protein at all. But that doesn't mean it's not a healthy choice, you know. So keeping in mind, okay, what are we pairing with that food? How is that food fitting into the diet overall? And how are we filling in the blanks with other foods throughout our whole day? So just know that Our diet is about so much more than just individual foods or individual nutrients, but truly how they all fit and work together, if that makes sense. So I just wanted to start by kind of breaking down the nutrition label in order. I also brought, (laughs) you obviously can't see me, but I brought like several foods from my pantry to refer to in front of me just so I can kind of like look at the label as I go as well. So if you are looking at a food at the store or in your pantry or wherever, you are going to start at the serving size. So keep in mind that this is the amount that people typically eat at one time. It is not necessarily the quote unquote recommended intake or how much you should eat. So keep in mind that the nutrition label doesn't know you or your body or your needs or your goals or your hunger levels at that exact moment. So, you know, take the serving size with a grain of salt 
<laughs> no pun intended, you can use the serving size as a guide, but just remember it's not a rule. And also important to note is the number of servings in a package. So the nutrition facts on the whole label are going to be based on one serving, but a lot of packages of things may include multiple servings when you think it's just one serving. So like sometimes packages of chips or something where maybe you would eat the entire package in one sitting, but it's really two, technically two servings, if that makes sense. So for example, I have a box of crackers in front of me and the serving size is 16 crackers, but it has 13 servings per container. So the nutrition label is based off of the serving size of 16 crackers. Okay, so hopefully I know that that probably is is fairly uh, straightforward and makes sense. So in contrast, I have a, a jar of peanut butter here and the serving size is two tablespoons. Okay, so moving on from that, the next line that you'll see is calories. So again, the number of calories is going to be based on one serving in that package. And also know that the whole label is based on general nutrition advice and a 2,000 calorie per day diet is used. But you know, just know that calorie needs vary significantly based on many different factors, including your age, your gender, height and weight, your activity level. So that's super important to note. You know, you may need less than 2,000 calories and you may need a lot more than 2,000 calories. So when it comes to the percent daily values that are on the right-hand side of the nutrition label, those, again, are based on the 2,000 calorie per day diet. So for example, a food item with 5% total daily value of fat provides 5% of the total fat that an individual with a 2,000 calorie per diet day needs. Hopefully that makes sense. I know that was kind of a, a mouthful. But also the percent daily value is referring to your intake for the entire day, not just that one meal or snack, if that makes sense. So again, you may need more than 2,000 calories. You may need less than 2,000 calories. So just be keeping that in mind as you're looking at the total daily value. I don't know how many people actually pay attention to the total daily value. Um, some people might. I, I don't feel like a lot of people typically are too concerned about that when I'm talking through nutrition labels with people, but just something you know that's important to note. So um, when it comes to the percent daily value, low is considered 5% or less, or it's contributing 5% or less of your total daily needs. So ideally, for the most part, it's recommended to aim low daily value for things like saturated fats, trans fats, cholesterol, and sodium. When we're purchasing foods and you know, especially foods that have a nutrition label. So they are to a degree, quote unquote, processed, which that's a whole nother, <laughs> a whole nother episode and something we'll kind of dive into a little bit today as well. But keep in mind, there used to be a recommendation in terms of the total daily intake of cholesterol. Um, like on the previous dietary guidelines, they recommended keeping your cholesterol intake to 300 milligrams per day or less. And they actually removed that in the most recent version of the dietary guidelines. So basically more recent research has shown that dietary cholesterol does not have a hugely significant impact on our blood cholesterol. There's a lot of different factors that go into that. However, in general, there have been ties to higher cholesterol levels due to higher saturated fat intake. So it is recommended to, again, reduce saturated fat intake and reduce sodium intake as well or limit sodium intake. Um, and again, these are very nuanced and complex topics and 
individual needs are going to vary depending on a wide variety of factors. So that's just something to keep in mind. But in general, again, as a general rule of thumb, oftentimes the foods that are higher in saturated fat are higher in cholesterol as well. Not always the case. Definitely depends on on the food, but just something to, to kind of keep in mind. Now, when it comes to trans fats specifically, trans fats can be found in a lot of different foods. So especially like fried foods, baked goods like cakes and biscuits and cookies and things like that, margarines, etc. And you can look at the nutrition label again to see trans fats on there as well. However, keep in mind that they can list zero grams of trans fats if they contain zero to less than 0.5 grams of trans fat per serving. So if you look at the ingredients label and see partially hydrogenated oils anywhere on the label, technically it does contain at least a small amount of trans fats. And again, I don't think we have to completely obsess over these things, but just being aware of where they're coming in can be helpful. So trans fats have been linked to increased risk of heart disease, heart attacks, strokes, etc. They reduce good cholesterol and increase bad cholesterol. So basically, they're not good for us. So we ideally want to avoid them. So I found this note from the most recent version of the dietary guidelines that says a note on trans fats and dietary cholesterol. It says the National Academies recommends that trans fat and dietary cholesterol consumption to be as low as possible without compromising the nutritional adequacy of the diet and the USDA dietary patterns are limited in trans fats and low in dietary cholesterol. And it says cholesterol in a small amount of trans fat occur naturally in some animal source foods. But as of June 2018, partially hydrogenated oils, which is the main source of artificial trans fats in the food supply, are no longer generally recognized as safe. Therefore, partially hydrogenated oils are no longer added to foods. So that's an important thing to note. So that's not to say that there are zero foods that still contain those partially hydrogenated oils, so it can still be helpful to check labels and things like that. But just being aware of where they can sneak in and being mindful of, again, fried food intake, some of those more processed baked goods, etc., can be a good way to just be reducing your intake of these not-so-great fats. And this is kind of a side note, but because we're talking about cholesterol, a question I get from clients all the time is about eggs. So I think eggs, you know, the cholesterol thing with eggs has been like the longest standing nutrition myth or whatever you want to call it or point of confusion, honestly, for people. So again, because we mentioned that dietary cholesterol does not have a significant impact on blood cholesterol as much as other factors like possibly saturated fat, of course, genetics play a huge role, the overall diet, etc. Eggs can absolutely be included in an overall healthy diet. There are certain individuals who may be more sensitive to it. They say that maybe people with a diagnosis of diabetes should possibly still be mindful of cholesterol intake, but in general, eggs can totally fit in an overall well-balanced diet. So feel free to enjoy them, eat the whole egg, including the yolk. That's where all the good stuff is. <laughs> especially if you are a fellow expecting mama, egg yolks are an incredible source of choline, which is a really important nutrient specifically during pregnancy for baby's brain development. So again, eat the whole egg, enjoy it, don't feel bad. Please don't throw the yolk away. That's again, where all the good stuff is. (laughs) I know they're expensive right now, but if you enjoy eggs, uh, feel free to continue to do so. Okay, I'm taking a quick break to tell you about something that I'm very, very excited about. 
I've been hinting at this for the past several months, but I have officially set a launch date goal. And so the more I put this out into the world, the more likely I am to actually finish it and have everything ready to go on time. So spoiler alert, I am creating an online nutrition course that I cannot wait to share with you guys. As a dietitian, I get so many questions from both clients and followers, and many of them are the same, you know, repeated questions, frequently asked questions. And as a mom and someone who works full time and also owns a business, Unfortunately, I don't have the capacity to do one-on-one consults with every single person who wants or needs my help. So this course is my way of putting all of these common pain points that people experience when it comes to nutrition and health into one place. So I want to help simplify nutrition for you. I want to make it easy and less stressful to make healthy choices. I want you to feel confident nourishing your body in a way that you actually enjoy that eliminates feelings of guilt or shame that you can also translate into feeding your family well. I want you to have good energy and have a healthy, uncomplicated relationship with food in your body. Just think about that for a minute. Can you imagine, you know, having a healthy relationship with food? I don't want you to track or weigh every bite of food that you eat or go on and off of restrictive diet plans for the rest of your life. You don't have to do that. I want you to feel supported as you work toward your health goals by myself, a registered dietitian and someone who has both the knowledge and also the personal experience of having, unfortunately, a messed up relationship with food in my body and now being on the other side of it. And when you join my program, you'll get a step-by-step roadmap that helps you improve your eating habits as well as other behaviors that impact your health. And also, you'll be part of a community of like-minded individuals who are working towards similar health goals because I know firsthand how important it is to have both support and accountability and just a sense of strong community when you're working on these things. So I cannot wait to get this program into your hands. I'm like giddy just talking about it out loud and to walk alongside you as you make you a priority and develop habits that you can stick with forever. If any of this sounds interesting to you, even a little bit, Be sure to get on my wait list. I will leave a link for you in the show notes and you'll be the very first to know when things are happening, when I'll be launching, any exclusive bonuses that you can get, and more. Also keep in mind that this very first round of my course is by far the cheapest it will ever be, so don't sleep on this opportunity. Be sure to get on my wait list. You can even scroll down right now while you're listening and click it in the show notes while you continue to listen to this episode. So I will be in your inbox shortly, and I can't wait to talk to you soon and share more about my course. But in the meantime, let's get back to this episode. Okay, so kind of circling back a little bit to the percent daily values. So I talked about what is considered low uh, daily value intake, um, which is 5% or less, and what is considered high is 20% or more. So we want to aim high in things like, of course, vitamins and minerals and dietary fiber. So those are good, good things to look for on the label when you're choosing certain foods. There's also a lot of confusion out there. Sorry, I'm kind of jumping around, but there's a lot a lot of different things to touch on as we go. But there's a lot of confusion out there around certain terms that you might see on labels, such as low fat, reduced fat, sugar-free, that kind of stuff. So, you know, when it comes to like low fat and reduced fat, for example, 
you might see people on social media these days basically saying that low-fat foods are full of chemicals and should be avoided at all costs, etc. Chemicals are such a buzzword these days. And it's a very, again, it's a nuanced topic. Technically, like everything is chemicals. Chemicals is not always a bad word. But anyway, so this is not always the case where low-fat foods are horrible for you. In some cases, they're simply lower in fat and therefore lower in calories. And some individuals may need that. So there are plenty of health conditions where it's recommended to limit or avoid higher fat foods. Or if you're trying to reduce your calorie intake, reducing your fat intake can also help. But again, we want to be mindful of the types of fats we're consuming in the diet. Fat in general is absolutely not a bad thing. We just want to be eating more healthy, unsaturated fat sources, you know, whole foods like nuts and seeds and avocados and extra virgin olive oil and fatty fish, things like that, versus, you know, getting a lot of our fats from some of these processed foods with oils added and things like that. So that's kind of a tangent. But, you know, the downside of some some of these foods, like the low-fat or sugar-free foods, in some cases, yes, there are other ingredients and things added to compensate for the lack of fat and enhance the flavor to make sure it still tastes good because the fact of the matter is fat tastes good. (laughs) It makes our foods taste good. Um, And so sometimes there may be more added sugars or sodium, etc. But again, the best thing you can do is check the label to see and, you know, kind of decipher the difference between, for example, like right here in front of me, I have some like wheat thins that are reduced fat. And, you know, basically the only difference between them was less fat, really. Like there was no other huge difference in terms of the ingredients and things like that. So it just really depends. And that doesn't mean that the the regular ones are a bad choice or that the reduced fat is a better choice. It's just something that I grabbed, honestly. <laughs> so, you know, again, not every single food choice has to be like this big, huge deal. And there's pros and cons to, to everything. But when it comes to sugar-free foods, keep in mind that sugar-free oftentimes they're going to contain artificial sweeteners. So some examples of that would be things like Splenda, which oftentimes you'll see as sucralose in the ingredients label, or, you know, like Sweet and Low would be another example, or aspartame, etc. So these are all artificial sweeteners, which are a very controversial topic these days. I don't think they have to be avoided 100% of the time. However, I do think that there's enough research kind of emerging to show that they're possibly not they're not necessarily good for us. So I do think it's important to be aware and mindful of where they're coming into the diet and see where we could possibly reduce our intake of them. I don't really think we should be eating multiple foods and or beverages a day that have artificial sweeteners. And so on that same token, there's also something called sugar alcohols, which are different than artificial sweeteners. They seem to be a better alternative to artificial sweeteners in terms of their impact on our health. However, the downside of our uh, sugar alcohols, so some examples of that would be like xylitol, erythritol. They typically end in the letters T-O-L. You'll see that on the or the ingredients list also. They oftentimes are going to cause digestive discomfort in certain individuals in certain quantities. So especially people who have GI issues like IBS. Um, We touched on this in my gut health episode. I think it was episode four way back with fellow dietitian Bethany Frazier. But some people can tolerate these in small amounts, especially if you don't have any GI issues or uh, digestive problems. But again, we don't necessarily want to be consuming multiple foods per day 
that have these sugar alcohols because that would just kind of be an indicator that we're consuming a lot of processed foods as opposed to whole foods, if that makes sense. Um, so again, a lot of times you'll see them sneaking into things like protein bars or protein powders or you know diet drinks and stuff like that. So again, just being mindful of how that's kind of adding up over your whole day um, and seeing where you could possibly reduce and take a little bit. So that leads me to sugars. So another hot topic, of course. So it's important to know the difference between added sugars versus naturally occurring sugars. So thankfully, the updated nutrition label does differentiate between the two. So you can see what has been added during processing as opposed to what is naturally occurring. So for example, in this box of wheat thins, you can see per serving that the total sugars is three grams and the line under that says it includes three grams of added sugars. So of the total three grams, all of those have been added. And in contrast, this peanut butter that I have in front of me, the only ingredient is dry roasted organic peanuts, and the total sugars is two grams. However, it contains zero grams of added sugars. So there are two grams of naturally occurring sugar in this peanut butter. So that's really important to note. So don't obsess over having zero grams of sugar at all in the diet. I would be more mindful of the added sugars, especially in things like dried fruit, for example. You know, that's that's an example I recently posted about on my Instagram where dried fruit is a lot of times it's sweetened, so it has sugars added to it where there may be, you know, 10 or 15 grams of added sugars in the sweetened version as opposed to zero grams of sugar, added sugar in the unsweetened version. So that's an easy place to cut back or totally eliminate those added sugars because they're unnecessary, especially in something like dried fruit where it already tastes sweet and delicious without the added sugars, in my opinion anyway. Of course, it tastes delicious and extra good (laughs) with the extra added sugars, but, you know, to each their own, that's just an easy place to cut back and, you know, being aware of where they're kind of sneaking in is, is definitely helpful. So, Again, a lot of times it's just a matter of making a simple swap to reduce your intake. And keep in mind, it can take time to make these changes and also for your taste to adjust a little bit as you're cutting back on sugars in the diet. Because truly, if you are consuming a lot of higher sugar foods throughout your day, every day, you have developed a taste for those sweeter foods. And so, you know, it will be, I don't want to say you have to like wean off of them necessarily, but it will be an adjustment period. Um, But it's very possible to to make that adjustment, just do it slowly and making those tweaks um, and small changes can, can be really helpful. So I recently posted about this as well. For example, like barbecue sauce or other condiments like ketchup. You know, I have, we have a barbecue sauce in the refrigerator that has like 17 grams of added sugar and one has four grams of added sugar and it's equally delicious and satisfying and way fewer added sugars. I feel better about serving that to Rhett, but also for ourselves. So those are just easy places to kind of cut back and and just be aware. Same with things like yogurt. That's a really big one where added sugars can kind of add up and sneak in. So um, comparing labels while you're at the store and saying, okay, is there a different brand or a different variation that I like just as well, but it has fewer added sugars or better yet going for a plain Greek yogurt or something where you can kind of sweeten it up yourself by adding, you know, fresh or frozen fruit or a little bit of nut butter or, you know, even a handful of whole grain cereal or granola or something. And that way you just have a little bit more control over how much sugar is being added as opposed to buying one that's pre-sweetened, if that makes sense. And again, doesn't have to be all or nothing with this, just things to, to kind of keep in mind. So 
Obviously, I think we know for the average, you know, quote unquote, average American sugar sweetened beverages such as soda are going to be one of the biggest sources of added sugars to the diet, as well as other sweets like candy, desserts, etc. But like I mentioned, you know, sugar, unfortunately, is hidden in a lot of things these days. So just being mindful of where it's sneaking in, um, checking labels to see where you could make that easy swap is a good way to slowly reduce. Also, with that said, I really do not think that anyone should have a no added sugars diet. Um, It's just really not realistic and not necessary for most people. So by simply reducing your intake of processed foods, incorporating more whole foods in the diet, planning ahead for more healthy whole food based meals and snacks, which becomes much easier over time and with practice, that can really help you with your overall sugar intake. Again, I, I always like to say having added sugar awareness, not obsession, can be really helpful. Keep in mind some days are going to look better than others in terms of your added sugar intake, and that's perfectly okay. And same with other nutrients like protein, etc. So don't feel like you have to majorly restrict or compensate if you have a day where you have more sugar than others. Um, especially, I mean, if you're someone who's tracking and kind of obsessing over it, try to you know scale back from that or just be aware of how that's impacting you mentally and instead just focusing on the types of foods that you're including, how they make you feel too. That can be a really important thing to pay attention to as well. Um, And just getting to a level that feels good for you. Technically, the recommendation is to get less than 10% of your total daily calories from added sugars or certain institutes may recommend a smaller or lower amount than that. Um, But I think that's the, the general recommendation. So again, if you're not someone who's tracking, um, which I don't think is necessary for really a lot of people, then you don't have to worry about counting the grams by any means. I think that can become really obsessive as opposed to, again, focusing on, okay, am I getting a variety of healthy whole foods in the diet? What are my meals looking like? How am I feeling in terms of my energy levels, etc.? And again, going back to foods that contain naturally occurring sugars, that's going to be things like fruit, dairy products. Um, again, lactose is in dairy, which is essentially milk sugar. It's not a bad thing. Just think think about the whole package of the food, not like the food label or package, but like the whole nutritional package of the food. So, you know, things like fruit and dairy also include vitamins and minerals and fiber and protein and probiotics, etc. So weigh out the pros and cons of the food as a whole and keep that full overall picture in mind. If you are a pet owner, I have to tell you about a service that we have used and loved for years. I'm talking about Chewy. Chewy sells food, medicine, supplements, toys, and more for dogs, but also all kinds of other animals, including cats, fish, birds, and others. We love Chewy because you can set everything up on auto ship, so it gets automatically sent to your doorstep when you need it. So it's one less thing to think about, and it always shows up really quickly. They're also constantly running deals, so we have found that purchasing through Chewy is almost always more affordable, especially for things like medications. Last but definitely not least, my absolute favorite thing about Chewy is their customer service. They're incredibly responsive and so kind. For example, one time my parents had to cancel their automatic shipment of their original food and switch to a prescription food because one of their dogs had a seizure. The Chewy team sent them a sweet handwritten note and flowers to tell them they were sorry and thinking of Beasley, their dog. Another time, they accidentally sent two bags of food to my parents, and they were massive. And since their dogs are so small, they're little Westies, and would take forever to get through it, they reached out to let Chewy know, and they encouraged them to donate the second bag to a dog shelter and refunded them for it. So just insane, amazing customer service. And I recently shared that our oldest dog, Harley, has kidney disease. So it feels like we've been ordering more medications and supplements than usual lately, and we continue to be so impressed with how quickly everything ships and shows up on our doorstep. 
We have always had super positive experiences with Chewy, and because of the price, convenience, and most of all the service, we will be Chewy customers for life. If you don't already buy supplies for your dogs through them, I highly recommend checking them out through my affiliate link in the show notes. Happy shopping. Okay, I know I went on a whole tangent there with sugars, but that's just a loaded topic. (laughs) Um, So sodium, again, I'm sorry, I'm jumping around, but sodium is another tricky one. But high levels of sodium intake have been linked to high blood pressure. Again, a very complex and controversial topic. Definitely not something that's black and white. I would love to have like a cardiologist or heart health expert or something to kind of dive into the latest research on sodium because I think that's a very nuanced, complicated topic and there's so much more information coming out recently about it. But regardless, I think it's really important to note that the salt shaker is not the main source of sodium in the diet because I talk to a lot of people who are like, well, I don't add salt to my food, so I'm good. However, restaurant foods and processed foods are the biggest contributors of sodium to our diet. So I actually do think that there's room to add some salt to your foods if you're primarily having healthy whole food based meals at home. So like when I'm roasting vegetables at home, for example, I'm always adding some salt and pepper to them to add some delicious flavor because those are, again, healthy whole foods that don't have sodium otherwise. But yeah, so most quote unquote, most Americans could benefit from reducing intake of highly processed foods that do have high amounts of sodium. So when it comes to sodium, the American Heart Association recommends no more than 2,300 milligrams per day. And they say to move toward an ideal limit of no more than 1,500 milligrams per day for most adults. Again, this is a very controversial topic. Some people really disagree with this. And again, it depends on a variety of factors, especially if you're someone who's really active or for like pregnancy, postpartum, nursing, you know, needs are going to vary for a wide variety of reasons. But again, most people could benefit from reducing those highly processed foods with high amounts of sodium. But it's not something that we want to completely avoid. And it is possible to have too low of sodium intake and that can have negative health effects as well. While we're on this topic, I wanted to read a little excerpt from Lily Nichols' blog. Um, So Lily Nichols wrote Real Food for Pregnancy. She's also a registered dietitian. She specializes in pregnancy and gestational diabetes. Um, So she's got some really great information and tons of research behind everything she shares. And she has this article on her blog. And I can actually link this in the show notes for you guys if you're interested. But it's all about electrolytes during pregnancy. And even if you're not pregnant, this is interesting and relevant information. So she's talking about all the different electrolytes, sodium, potassium, etc., and talking about salt specifically, so sodium chloride technically. And it says, while conventional nutrition frequently touts a low salt diet to prevent high blood pressure, this is not evidence-based advice. For most people, salt does not have an impact on blood pressure. In fact, only about 25% of the population is salt sensitive, meaning only a quarter of us will see our blood pressure go up from eating salt plus 15% of the population will have elevated blood pressure on a low salt diet. And again, it's talking about how a lot of the nutrition guidelines, like I just mentioned from the American Heart Association, suggest limiting sodium intake to less than 2,300 milligrams per day. But she, again, states that this is not recommended um, or not supported by a lot of evidence. So 
a 2021 review on sodium intake across the world found that an intake of 3,000 to 5,000 milligrams of sodium per day is associated with the lowest risk of adverse health outcomes, including cardiovascular disease. And it said, keep in mind that this study was not looking for optimal sodium intake in pregnancy specifically. That has yet to be defined. But anyway, just really interesting. Again, I'll link this um, article for you in the show notes if you're curious because it goes on to talk about what about a low-salt diet to prevent preeclampsia? Spoiler alert, it says it does not support a low-salt diet to help um, control high blood pressure or preeclampsia. So definitely, again, a very complex and nuanced topic. So really interesting. And once again, you know, we want to just be mindful of where we're getting our sodium, um, ideally getting more whole foods in our diet, being mindful of those ultra-processed, highly processed foods that are oftentimes contributing the most sodium to people's diets, restaurant foods, again, you know, fried foods, et cetera, that maybe their whole nutritional package isn't necessarily the healthiest for us. So that's just another note on sodium. Phew, that was a lot. Okay, moving on. Hey friends, interrupting this conversation really fast to tell you about a brand I love, and that is Hill & Hazel. Hill & Hazel is an online boutique owned by my friend Hillary that sells the freaking cutest clothes at affordable prices. She launches new items every single week, and I promise you will not be disappointed. Check out her page at Shop Hill and Hazel on Instagram and you'll see what I mean. Whether you need some cute tops for going out with friends, a new dress for weddings, baby showers, or other festivities, or even shoes and accessories, she has you covered. She offers a great mix of basics and closet staples, as well as fun and unique items that you will love. You can use my code SHANA10 to get 10% off your purchase at hillandhazel.com. Happy shopping! things that we want to get more of in the diet are going to be things like dietary fiber, potassium, vitamin D, calcium, and iron. These are all going to promote good health and reduce risk of certain health conditions like osteoporosis, anemia, etc. So I think it probably goes without saying that we want to increase fruits and vegetables in the diet. I think most everyone could benefit from that. These can provide a variety of vitamins and minerals and most importantly, fiber. And that's unfortunately the problem with some of the restrictive diets that are out there, especially those that are really restrictive of carbohydrate foods because we can really only get fiber from carbs and it's so beneficial in so many ways. You know, fiber supports digestive health, heart health, helps support balanced blood sugars, also keeps us full and satisfied longer. So there's so many benefits of fiber and getting fiber ideally from whole foods. Um, So things like nuts and seeds and whole grains, again, fruits and vegetables, they're all a great source of fiber in the diet. Um, I think it's also important to be aware while we're talking about nutrition labels, especially that some foods have fiber, fiber added as opposed to like naturally occurring fiber and the whole foods that I just mentioned. So sometimes this added fiber, I don't want to say like fake fiber, but kind of just for like comparison's sake. Um, Sometimes these can cause digestive discomfort as well as opposed to whole food-based fiber. So it's going to depend on the type and the quantity. And some added fibers are better than others. But um, keep in mind that certain like protein bars and supplements, et cetera, are going to be some of the biggest sources of those. But yeah, so ideally, if we can get fiber from more whole foods, that's going to be a better way to go. Ingredient labels can be really helpful because that's really like the best place to go so you actually know what's in the food. (laughs) So similar to like the fear mongering with chemicals and low fat foods, et cetera, 
you know, if you see a food or excuse me, if you see a word in the ingredients list that you aren't familiar with or you can't pronounce, sometimes just keep in mind that this is simply a certain vitamin or mineral that has been added back through fortification of the food. So in general, of course, it's great to choose foods that do have fewer ingredients that you are familiar with. So like I said, you know, this peanut butter that I have is simply dry roasted organic peanuts and that's it. Or if I have unsweetened dried mango, the only ingredient is mango. So that just makes it really easy on you to know exactly what you're getting in that food. Other examples of things that you might see in your pantry would be like, you know, brown rice. The only ingredient would be brown rice (laughs) or quinoa or cashews or, you know, nut butters that have just peanuts or just almonds or maybe just some like almonds and salt added. Again, dried fruit, chia seeds, those types of foods where you'll see just one or maybe two ingredients. Those are, you know, oftentimes those are going to be great healthy choices, especially if they're, you know, healthy whole foods. Protein is another one that I get a lot of questions on. So there's not a specific percentage daily value for protein because, again, similar to calories, needs are going to vary significantly depending on the person. I actually talked about this with um, my fellow dietitian, Charlotte, in the episode about Whole30. Um, I'll link to that in the show notes if you guys want to check that one out. But as a general rule of thumb, we talked about aiming for roughly 1.2 to 1.6 grams per kilogram of protein per day. Again, this is going to vary depending on your goals, your activity level, etc. But that's a decent rule of thumb. I would say at least one gram per kilogram of protein per day. And ideally, we want to get protein from a variety of sources, including both plant and animal sources, in order to get all the essential amino acids that we need. And so again, when people ask how much protein should I be looking for on the nutrition label or fats or carbs, again, it totally depends. How is that food fitting into the overall diet? What is the food? For example, if it's like, let's say a protein bar or a granola bar, I usually want to aim for at least like five grams of protein. So for things like like a layer bar, for example, I think they only have like two or three grams of protein, which is very low. Um, So if I were to have something like that, maybe I would add some peanut butter or something on it. So I would get some additional protein from that, or I would maybe pair it with a hard boiled egg or a cheese stick or some Greek yogurt or something that is going to provide protein. Because ideally, you know, at every meal and snack, we want to have protein. I would say at least five grams of protein and something like that. And Ideally, in meals, I would say most people can benefit from like 20 or 25 grams or more of protein per meal. And again, totally depends on the individual and what your needs are. But protein is important for so many reasons. It helps with maintaining muscle mass and many other functions in the body. It also keeps us full and satisfied longer. And ideally, we want to spread it out in our intake throughout the day. So not like only getting protein at dinner, for example, which I think is kind of common for a lot of people I talk to. Trying to incorporate protein each time that you eat throughout the day, especially starting the day with a nice protein-rich breakfast can be super beneficial. Um, I've talked about this in several episodes with several other dietitians and experts, like my pregnancy nutrition episode, my burnout episode, my hormone health and period episode. So many times we've talked about protein. So there's so many benefits of getting adequate protein. So just making sure that you're intentionally incorporating plenty of it throughout the day from a variety of sources. Again, diving into carbs, we want to include more of those high fiber carbs like fruits, vegetables, whole grains, over refined grains most of the time if possible. So whole grains would be things like brown rice, oats, quinoa, 100% whole wheat breads, whole whole grain pastas, etc. 
and trying to limit um, more of those white refined grains that are, they've been processed, they've taken out that good fiber component, which we've touched on the benefits of fiber already, and limiting some of those added sugars and foods that are just kind of lacking in fiber and overall nutrition. Obviously not being perfect here, but just being aware of that. How to identify whole grain products. This is something I get questions on a lot as well. So there are a couple of different things that you can do to make it super easy. So looking for the first word in the ingredients list to start with the word whole. For example, like these wheat thins, the first ingredient is whole wheat flour. So that's just a super easy way to see that it's a whole grain product. You can also look for on certain foods, you can find the yellow whole grain label. Um, There's like the whole grain council that they have that um, labeling on a lot of like breads and things like that. Another really easy thing to look for is simply for the label to say 100% whole wheat or 100% whole grain because if it says something like wheat or honey wheat, um, especially again on breads, it might contain like small amounts of whole grains, but whole grain flour may be like way down on the ingredients list. So keep in mind that the ingredients are listed in the order of weight that they appear in the product. So the first ingredient appears in the greatest quantity, if that makes sense. So for example, if sugar is the first ingredient in something, you might want to make a different choice compared to something else and see, you know, what your other options are. So an example that you could maybe look for is like, you know, you can buy the big cartons of plain old fashioned or steel cut oats. And the only ingredient is going to be like whole grain oats as opposed to like oatmeal packets, which I'm not saying oatmeal packets are bad, but if you play, choose the plain oats, then again, you you have the opportunity to sweeten them up yourself. For example, like I always make overnight oats and I'm just using plain old fashioned oats in those that have no added sugars, no added anything. Um, and then I'm sweetening them up with, you know, vanilla extract and nut butters and fresh or frozen fruit, things like that. Um, So those are just easy places to make those swaps. And again, we're not being perfect here. We're just making those simple swaps wherever we can. Just using a realistic and balanced approach. Nothing has to be perfect in the diet. If the added sugars are like one gram higher than you want it to be or, you know, you don't have to pass on the food completely because of that. It's truly the overall balance of your diet that matters the most and what you're getting throughout your whole day or your whole week or what your whole diet looks like. And again, factoring in how you feel, you know, do you feel like you're getting a good balance and variety of foods? How are your energy levels? How's your digestion, etc.? There are, of course, other important things to note on the nutrition label as well, such as specific ingredients for people who have allergies or restrictions like gluten-free or allergies to dairy, soy, nuts, etc. And those are going to be noted on the label as well. So for example, on these crackers, it says it contains wheat. So that's an allergen that people who have an allergy to wheat need to obviously avoid. On this nut butter, for example, it says contains peanut, which is fairly obvious because it's peanut butter. But obviously, I mean, they're required to list out those allergens. So it's just something to be aware of. Um, Another thing that I actually pulled from my pantry that I thought I would touch on is these. um, I got some no sugar added canned mandarin oranges because Rhett freaking loves fruit cups. Um, He like specifically requests he wants fruit, fruit at every meal. And when he says fruit, he wants a fruit cup as opposed to like fresh fruit. Although he does love fresh fruit, too. And usually I'm like, oh, sorry, this is what we have, bub. And he gets over it fairly quickly. But I grabbed this package of no sugar added mandarin oranges from Target and their Target brand, like the Market Pantry or whatever. 
And I honestly wasn't really paying much attention when I grabbed them. I just saw no sugar added and I was like, okay, great. Threw it in my cart. And little did I know or later realized that they're artificially sweetened. So they do have sucralose or Splenda in them to sweeten them, which is not the end of the world, but it's just so unnecessary in my opinion. So in contrast, Aldi has a ton of canned fruit that is unsweetened and it doesn't have artificial sweeteners. And I've gone to Target several times since then, and it feels like all of their unsweetened options are sweetened with artificial sweeteners. So just one of those things that is frustrating and unnecessary as both a dietitian and consumer. I'm like, people are so confused and frustrated by food options that are available these days. And even I fell for like the no sugar added, but it had the artificial sweeteners. So again, not obsessing or stressing over these things, but just being aware of, you know, sometimes that happens and looking a little bit closer can be helpful just to kind of be aware of where you can make those small shifts. But yeah, it happens and not the end of the world. And in general, marketing and labeling these days can be very deceiving. (laughs) So there are a lot of other buzzwords out there that can make you feel like a product is a lot healthier than it really is. So hopefully just talking through this a little bit and having some of this knowledge of what to look for, how to really decipher the label will help you look past pretty packaging and really understand what you're choosing and why. And again, give yourself so much grace and time as you figure out what this looks like. It's a process and something that I have a nutrition course coming this year hopefully in the next couple of months, that will support you in this journey as well. So also know, you know, things like just because something is organic or gluten-free doesn't automatically mean it's healthy or better for you than an option that's not. I just feel like that needs to be said um, because there's just, again, there's so many, so much stuff out there these days, so much fear-mongering, making people feel like they shouldn't eat this or shouldn't eat that. I know it's so confusing. So just remember, you don't have to be perfect you know, progress, not perfection, awareness, not obsession. That's my biggest take home for you today is just to be be aware and hopefully you feel empowered with this knowledge now, but you don't feel stressed or overwhelmed or like you have to be perfect. You absolutely do not. This is such a big topic. I did my best to break it down in a way that's easy to understand, hopefully not overwhelming. I'm sure I'll listen back to this and think of things that I should have included or that I missed. So if you have any big follow-up questions, please let me know. If you found this valuable, please take a minute to leave a rating and review and let me know. Or better yet, you can share the episode in your Instagram stories and tag me or send the link to a friend or someone who might need it. I appreciate your support in your shares more than you know. Um, I apologize. I chatted much longer than I (laughs) intended to today, but I hope it was thorough and helpful and informative. And I appreciate you listening and I will talk to you guys next week. I hope you enjoyed this episode and took away some tips or wisdom that you can apply to boost your health and happiness starting today. If you did, I would love it if you would subscribe to the podcast and leave a rating and review to help other women like you find my show and get inspired to start living a life they love. Also, take a quick screenshot and share it to your Instagram stories. Be sure to tag me at wellness for the win so I can see why you love today's show. Thank you so much for listening and talk to you next time.